and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 127 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting with creative director of Marvel-themed entertainment, Brian Crosby. I had ran into Brian at Destination D23 in Orlando and was so excited to have the opportunity to chat with him on the podcast. I'm so glad he agreed to come on to the show. And as you'll soon hear, it was such an amazing discussion. We talked about Brian's career journey starting out with Disney at Walt Disney Imagineering, talk a little bit about his Marvel and Disney fandom growing up, and over the last few years, his work at Marvel, which has covered some pretty amazing experiences and attractions both within the Disney parks and beyond the berm. It was such a fun discussion, and I really cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. Before we jump in, I want to give a very special thanks to our sponsor, WDW Magazine. You can learn more and subscribe to WDW Magazine by clicking on the link in the show notes of this episode or by heading to ImagineerPodcast.com. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. Ever since Disney's acquisition of Marvel in 2009, the historic comic franchise has reached new levels of popularity. Through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Disney has brought new characters and stories to millions of fans around the globe and old stories and characters as well. And the universe continues to expand as we now enter a new phase of Marvel films, a new era of Marvel series, a new beginning to Marvel theme park attractions, and a continued legacy of Marvel comics, merchandise, characters, the stories, And all of this work takes a team of very talented people. And one man who is practically destined for this line of work is creative director of Marvel-themed entertainment, Brian Crosby. Growing up as both a fan of Marvel and Disney, Brian began his career at Disney at Walt Disney Imagineering. And about a decade later, Brian made the jump to Marvel as the Marvel creative director of live events, working on experiences at Comic-Con, Marvel Universe Live, and beyond. In his current role, Brian continues to think of new ways to bring the Marvel Universe to the real world. I am so excited to chat with him about his work, his fandom, and beyond. So without further ado, it is my sincere pleasure to welcome Brian Crosby to Imagine Your Podcast. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I am so glad that you and I had the chance to connect at uh, Destination D23, at least yeah. for a brief day that you that I caught you down there, which was awesome. Um, yeah. I think we met at the exhibit the walt disney imagineering um 50 years of walt disney world exhibit right by the Dreamfinder, um, yes old Dreamfinder <laughs> machine which was awesome serendipitous some might even say <laughs> for sure um so i'm really excited to to geek out with you like i said and i normally start with the past but for this one i thought i would actually start with the present and uh you know you're currently as i mentioned the creative director of marvel themed entertainment so what does that mean for those who don't know what your role includes and how do you describe your role? Sure. Well, I mean, the way I like to describe it is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not actively making comics or movies or video games. Uh, so then well, what, what do I do at Marvel? And the way I like to describe it is that I'm helping bring, you know, our library of 8,000 to 9,000, you know, however many characters we are at now. Uh, to life in the dimensional space. So, um, you know, in, in many ways, we're about uh, creating experiences that let people step into uh, these stories that they've fallen in love with through decades of fandom, whether it be through the comics or the films or whatever it is, whatever it is that's bringing people into Marvel, uh, we try to bring these stories to life and tell completely new stories, you know, as well. Uh, but ultimately let people experience the Marvel brand, the Marvel characters, the worlds uh, in completely uh, new ways. And that that can be, you know, we've certainly worked a lot in the in the Disney park space, um, but we've also done a lot of work uh, in terms of you know, other live events and traveling shows.
shows, arenas, uh, arena shows, museum exhibits, uh, comic conventions, uh, location-based entertainment. Um, so I know that's a very long-winded answer to your question, but essentially that's kind of the, the gist of it. No, that's a perfect answer. And you mentioned a few examples of things that you've worked on and, uh, you know, we can tap into to a few of those. Um, but uh, before we get into that, like I said, I wanted to start with the present before moving into the past, just to kind of frame the discussion for where you are now. But your backstory is really fascinating. And I kind of teased out in the beginning that I feel like you were sort of destined for the role that you have now, especially between your fandom and some of your experiences. Um, so to go all the way back, because uh, like I said, I did mention that you were a fan of Marvel and Disney, but um, yeah. I know it goes beyond that. I mean, what were some of your your biggest interests growing up? Uh, I mean, well, I, you know, I grew up here in Southern California, which is, you know, where I am still to this day. So, you know, I grew up, you know, in the shadow of, of Disneyland, uh, always loved going to the park. Uh, you know, my parents would take us once a year, about around May, we were always psyched. You know, I, I, I loved I loved going to Disneyland and my brothers did, too. But it always meant not just Disneyland, but also meant we got taken out of school uh, for one day. So that was enough to sell everybody on the idea. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, we, we loved it. And to me, going to Disneyland, um, you know, the night before was like Christmas Eve, you know, to me to, you know, I'd be pouring over this book I had of Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm sure you and your listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. And you open it up and on the inside cover had kind of a fun map of the attraction. And I remember going through and you went know, with my finger of what I was going to see, you know, on Pirates of the Caribbean. I'd listened to my Disneyland records. And so I, I, I loved Disney parks and Disneyland in particular uh, as a kid. It was a big part of my childhood. Um, but in addition to that, you know, I loved comics, you know, I loved superheroes. Uh, you know, I grew up watching things like Spider-Man and his amazing friends, like watching uh, Super Friends, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, so it was it was a big part of my my childhood. My dad introduced me to the Batman 1966 TV show. So I loved that. Uh, and then I really discovered comics when I was about 10. Um, I stayed home sick from school one day and my my mom uh she needed to run an errand at a local 7-Eleven. And so I went with her, even though I was sick and I discovered these comic books. I didn't know what they were at the time, uh, but they were books with all my favorite superheroes on a spinner rack. And, and I asked, you know, I'm like, what, what are these? And they, they kind of explain that they come out every month and there's stories about, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and, you know, Superman and so on and so forth. And I was like, well, awesome. And so my mom bought me one, it was uh, detective comics number 577. Uh, and so, uh, and I fell in love with the comic book medium from that moment. Then it was like, okay, this is, this is great. And then it was like going out to the swap meet the next week and finding more comics. And then years later, discovering comic book stores and just became a very, uh, healthy addiction i'll say um yeah. but it certainly you know it uh sparked this love of storytelling of superheroes of the idea of art the idea that i could um that i could work in that in in this that like people do this for a living uh all of those ideas started to come to mind but it all really comes back to that first that first comic book in 1987 um, and so, yeah, I, I loved superheroes and the superhero medium. And like I said, combining that with my love of Disneyland, never did I think that those two ideas would cross, but, um, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fortuitous the way that all turned out. Um, it, I guess, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with, uh, with that idea of, of, of wanting to in some way maybe want to work at Disneyland or work you know in some sort of creative capacity how did you sort of fine tune as you got a little bit older what you wanted to do um when it came to pursuing a career early on yeah i mean I, honestly i mean I, I knew what imagineering was uh only because in the early days of of the disney channel they used to have the, the this little segment called imagineer that I remember that. Yeah. Was it imagine this or imagine you're that. I, it was imagine you're that. Yeah. Imagine you're that. Okay. I had it right the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I remember, I remember those little segments were, were really uh, compelling and interesting in particular. I remember uh, one episode where the Imagineers got to, they worked on maintaining uh, the submarine voyage attraction and they got to dive deep into uh, like scuba dive down into the lagoon and maintain the submarine voyage attraction. And I thought, what, what a, 
cool job. These guys are scuba diving with like buried treasure and mermaids and sea serpents and all kinds of stuff. And I just thought that was such a cool thing. Um, so, but I, I had never really considered uh, Imagineering as, as a job that I could do, you know, even though I had heard of them. Uh, really for me, it was all about getting into comics. I wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be like my hero, Todd McFarlane. I, I wanted to be a comic book artist. And that was really my drive. Um, and then uh, I got my first job working in comics in 1999 uh, on a very uh, small, small press book called Barbie Spawn for a company called David World Press. Very early days of uh, Internet comics. And, uh, and it's exactly what you might imagine. It's a, it was a combo <laughs> of Barbie, like Barbie dolls and Spawn, like Todd McFarlane's Spawn. So it's kind of a That's female so interesting. Spawn spoof thing yeah uh you know was not the uh you know <laughs> how do i say it? it was not the the greatest comic book story ever told um but i it got my foot in the door you know yeah. and so I'll forever be grateful just you know to have that first opportunity and experience and uh and so i i did a little bit of that I worked on worked on the those comics for for a bit did not really make a make a lot of money uh doing it and i had a young family so I decided to go back to school um, and I went to Cal State Fullerton, uh, California State Fullerton here in, in Orange County, studying illustration, um, you know, with again, with the idea of getting into comics, you know, at some point later on or getting into illustration or concept design or something like that. And then a, a really good friend of mine, uh, you know, former Imagineer now, uh, Josh Stedman, who's uh, worked on a ton of projects in themed entertainment. Uh, he was going to school at the time as well. And he called me up this is 2005 and said, Hey, there's this design competition called imaginations. And if we we're going to submit an idea uh, for an attraction and if Disney likes it, we might get internships. And again, I, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, I need an internship and like, that would be great. Like doing an internship at Disney would be awesome. Uh, and so that was really the motivation to me for entering the competition. Um, and we we enter we came up with an idea. Uh, it was based on the the Rocketeer uh, film, and uh, you know this it was really Josh's Josh's baby. He he you know he kind of came up with the idea and and you know really spearheaded the whole thing. Uh, but he asked me to do the storyboards, um, and being that it was the Rocketeer kind of 1930s superhero, uh, I drew the storyboards as if they were like an old 1930s comic book. So um, and Disney really liked, they loved our concept and, uh, I got a phone interview out of that and then became an intern at Imagineering. And that started a whole new, a whole new life that I was not even prepared for. That's amazing. I have heard, of course, about the Imaginations competition. There's not many people I've interviewed who've done it because I think it is a relatively newer when it comes to, you know, thinking about the length and the, yes. <laughs> how far back Imagineering goes is kind of a more recent opportunity, yeah. but that's such a great way to get your foot in the door. And I think Disney was probably compelled by not just the concept, but the way that you told that story, like you said, um, with the storyboards, because I think that is really uh, Disney's all about, especially Imagineering is all about storytelling. Um, and so 100%. you took that yeah, I mean, to the fourth like, to was, the next was, dimension. Yeah, it was never really about finding a new idea for an attraction. It was about who has the talent and the ability to tell stories in new ways or to think about, you know, these experiences in, in, in new compelling ways. And I think that's what they liked about what we put, what we had put together for that um, competition. And it, it really is a, a tremendous uh, opportunity for young artists, young designers, you, you know, um, to, to get their foot in the door in, in what is a very competitive industry, uh, a very small industry actually. Um, and, you know, like I said, I will be forever grateful to, to Marty Sklar and those who, who created that competition um, you know, it changed my life and uh, gave me an opportunity in a way that I could have never imagined um, and really has altered everything for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and you, you mentioned it's competitive and it's a, I know it's a competitive competition. It's a competitive industry. Um, but I know that internship has got to be for many people that even for you, like you mentioned, kind of that dream come true. Um, how was that internship or what was that internship experience like? Um, was it uh, like how, how, I guess another way to phrase it is how much work did they, did they assign to you or how much, um, you know, sort of 
engagements did they or or uh, initiative that they allow you to take when it came to supporting projects in Imagineering? Um, so so really, as far as you know, artistically zero. I, I was doing <laughs> zero zero drawings, zero artwork. Um, what I was assigned to do was work in the uh, what's called the the IRC or the the art library, if you will. And, you know, this is 2005. So a lot of, you know, artists are just starting to make the transition into digital artwork. Still at this time, most of the artists at Imagineering are working traditionally, uh, painting, sketches, you know, paper drawings, physical stuff. Um, and so I was essentially cataloging uh, art for the, for the art library to be preserved, you know, for generations to come. And what was great about that is all of the artists that worked at Imagineering were coming and bringing art to me and to be, to be filed, to be cataloged. And so that's kind of what I spent the summer doing was working on all that stuff. And what was great is I had my portfolio underneath my desk. And, you know, when some of them would come in, I'd, I'd say, Hey, can I just get five minutes of your time to show you some of the work I've been doing, kind of pick your brain a little bit. And so it became this perfect location to get to know all the artists that were working at Imagineering um, or, you know, get to know the Imagineers quite a bit. And through that was able to springboard that into a, a full-time job. Um, and, and even then when I started working full-time uh, it, you know, was nothing glamorous. I was working in a department called uh, visual imaging production. So again, zero drawing um, I was putting together presentations uh, for uh, the creative division. So, uh, you know, it wasn't glamorous, you know, it was, a, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of late hours, but I knew what I wanted to do. And so again, I'm working with everybody in the creative division. So different producers and creative directors would come down and have their presentations put together. And I'd get a chance to talk to them and get to know them, show them what I, what I could do. Um, and then little by little, just kind of chip away at, at, um, at this and hoping to, to break into the division I wanted to be in. Um, and one of the things that really was big for me was there was a, there was a conference room at Imagineering at the time, and they used to have all of the, uh, 10 year menu, uh, you know, kind of strewn up around the, uh, around the walls. And I would go in there and see which projects were coming up, you know, 10, you know, six, seven years down the line. And I would look at, you know, for attractions that had not yet been identified, like, hey, in, in Paris in 2014, we're going to do a D ticket, you know, they didn't know what it was, you know, didn't know what story was going to be told, just we're going to do a D ticket at that time. Right. And so I would look for those things that were way far out that I was assuming nobody had given a ton of thought to. Um, it was more just a placeholder. And then I would set up meetings with, you know, the various portfolio leaders of those uh, resorts and go, hey, you know, I see you got a D ticket coming in 2014. Would you mind if I just kind of took a crack at it, you know, and just started coming up with some ideas. And that was, that's how I got to meet a lot of my, you know, tremendous, you know, mentors, people like uh, Tony Baxter and Robert Coltrane and Dave Crawford and uh, Kevin Rafferty. I mean, a lot of names that you as a, as a, as an imaginary podcast, you know, those names. Um, and if your fans don't know those names, they, sh <laughs> they should know those names. They should. Um, but, uh, you know, some of those people became, you know, uh, really tremendous mentors and advocates for me. Um, and I'll be forever grateful to them for, you know, taking a chance on, on a young kid who was kind of still in school trying to figure my way through it because, you know, people at Imagineering, you know, the artists there, they, they, I mean, they've been there forever. Some of them had been there for 30, 35 years. And, you know, when you're a young kid, you know, fresh, you know, still in college, you know, for me, I was still in college at that time. You know, how do you break in? How do you, how do you crack that nut and find your way onto a project? Um, and thankfully, you know, having those, those kinds of advocates, you know, to get me onto different projects was, uh, was invaluable. Um, so yeah, forever grateful to all of them. And uh, you honestly did a lot of the, I think you had the, the sort of tenacity and the, honestly, the, the, I, the way you went about it is incredibly smart because it, you showed your passion, you showed the willingness and the drive to take that initiative. It's something that. I had spoken to your, you know, one of your mentors, Tony Baxter, and he mentioned he did the same thing with Mark Davis and Claude Coates in particular. He would go to Claude Coates' office and say, "Hey, I saw that you're working on this project. I would love to to work on this." And it's very much the same exact sort of, um, you know, 
curiosity and interest and drive and willingness to show up and, and put in some work and a lot of work and um, take some creative risks and let them know exactly what it is that you wanted. So it's easy to see how you got from the the uh, internship experience to make it full time. And um, I know you worked on some exciting attractions as well. I think Finding Nemo, Submarine Voyage, you sort of uh, you worked on that project. Um, I want to, of course, talk about some of the Marvel experiences. But yeah, um, what are some of the other examples of attractions you worked on? Um, yeah, so your time I, yeah, I worked I worked on Finding Nemo just for a short bit, kind of at the very end, just before it was installed. Uh, so I didn't work on that for very long but that was the very first thing i got to you know work on even to a, a, on, a, on a very small level but i uh, got to work on uh it's a small world for hong kong disneyland uh, i got to work on a lot of blue sky projects so we were always coming up with new ideas and dreaming about new things most of which will never uh see the light of day but that's <laughs> right. you know, part of being a, a concept designer uh worked on uh, tron light cycles for for shanghai um, you know, worked on a, quite a bit of Star Wars content, you know, for about three years, was working on a variety of concepts, Star Wars related, uh, ultimately what became Galaxy's Edge. So kind of the very early days of, of what that land might look like, um, you know, but certainly, you know, the Marvel, the Marvel content was, was where I found my, my bread and butter, so to speak. And, and it was the perfect marriage of, of what I, what I loved and grew up doing and wanted to do in terms of being a comic book artist, but now marrying it with my, with my new career and, and passion as an Imagineer. Absolutely. And I think the, one of the stories I definitely wanted to, to tap into, it's a little difficult to find, but I do my research or do my digging. I found a video that you had, uh, that was recorded of you. I think at a, it was a TEDx <clears throat> event in, um, in Shanghai. Yeah. And you talked about the, Iron Man experience, which I know was one of the, you know, would have been an, a really amazing experience for you to to develop. Um, and the story that I thought was so interesting was you were there helping to pitch the Iron Man experience to the Hong Kong government. I thought it was such an amazing story. And for those who might not be able to find the video, could you tell the story of how you <laughs> made that pitch? Sure, sure. So we, I mean, just to back up a little bit. So yeah, yeah. Iron Man experience kind of came about because we were, we were looking at bringing star tours to Hong Kong um, to, uh, you know, uh, because star tours didn't exist there. Um, and so there had been a lot of work done, not by me, but by many folks about, you know, how do we fit, you know, simulator boxes onto the Tomorrowland paddock? And how do you make that? How do you make that work thematically with the way Tomorrowland was designed in Hong Kong? And uh, we, we quickly got some feet and I did a few sketches of what that might look like. Um, but we got some feedback very early on from the, our partners in Hong Kong that they didn't really care about Star Wars, <laughs> that, you know, which kind of breaks our heart, you know, yeah. as, as Americans who grow up, you know, with Star Wars, it's part of our, it's in, like in our DNA. It was like, oh my gosh, how do they, how do they not love Star Wars? Like we love Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, and they just don't, they kind of looked at it as like old sci-fi, like it didn't look, um, it wasn't cool to them or fresh or new. Um, I mean, this is before all the new movies and everything right. and, and all that. And then certainly before Disney plus and the Mandalorian and all that. So no <laughs> Grogu really today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no Grogu on, on, on the horizon just yet. Um, but, uh, but they love Marvel over there. They really loved the Avengers film. They loved the Iron Man uh, films in particular. So they really gravitated towards that. It was new, it was hot, it was fresh. And, uh, and she so said, okay, well, let's, let's start brainstorming different, different Marvel concepts, you know, for Hong Kong Disneyland. So we came up with quite a few different ideas. Um, and then, uh, you know, one night about three o'clock in the morning, you know, it, it kind of dawned on me. And I said to my wife, I go, you know, we did all that work to figure out how to get star tours into Tomorrowland. You know, why does it have to be, why does a simulator ride have to be Star Wars? Like, why couldn't it be a Marvel simulator? And that was, you know, and they didn't, they wouldn't know any different in Hong Kong because they don't have star tours. It's not like we were putting another simulator right next to, <laughs> right next to it and created the same experience. It, it, it would be something new and, and ownable for Hong Kong Disneyland. Um, and so that was really the start of it. And then, you know, I, I, I kind of on the way into work that day on my train ride, I kind of started sketching out some ideas and doing some, you know, just some notes about what a Marvel simulator ride might look like. And I was working very closely with uh, Robert Coltrane on the new concepts that we we're uh, brainstorming for, uh, for Marvel Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, I said, Hey, I had this idea, you know, about what if we did a Marvel simulator? And he said, that's, that's just kind of crazy enough that they might 
want to do it. And let's kind of keep it aside as like a dark horse idea. And, you know, cause we were actually presenting to Tom Staggs like that day. Wow. Um, who was the head of parks and resorts at the time. Yeah. So I put together a pitch board. We had our other boards that we had already put together for the other attractions that we were pitching. And, uh, but before we went into Tom Staggs, we met with Joe Ann Cicero and showed him all of the concepts that we were pitching and said, by the way, we have this other kind of dark horse idea of like a Marvel simulator ride. And what do you think? And he said, he said, well, it's really cool. It's crazy enough. They just might want to do it. Let's keep it as a dark horse idea. Like same, same note. Right. Right. So we finally, we get into Tom Staggs. We present all the ideas to him. We can, you know, you kind of read the room a little bit in those pitch meetings and we could tell that the reception was lukewarm to the ideas that we had put out there. And we said, we, well, we do have one other, you know, one other idea. And so we brought out this pitch board of the Marvel simulator ride, essentially. And he very quickly said, that's it. That's what we're going to do, you know? And, uh, and it was kind of one of those where we all looked at each other. Like, I think, I think that's what we're doing. I think we're doing a Marvel simulator. Ride. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we were off and running. We were, we were green lit, at least from the, the Disney parks and resort side. Um, but now to answer your question. <clears throat> so we had to go and pitch this to the Hong Kong uh, government and get them excited uh, about a Marvel simulator ride. So we certainly did a lot of brainstorming about what that would do. We worked very hard on coming up with a compelling concept. How do we make it unique? How do we make it different from star tours? And, you know, um, none of that, that would really matter because they wouldn't have star tours, but you know, we had to come up with something cool and fun. And, uh, so we landed on this concept for an Avengers, uh, ride, an Avengers simulator. And I had pitched this thing, uh, internally at WDI countless times. Like I, I pitched it to everybody and I had, I had the pitch down. I knew, you know, we had we had all the Avengers showing up. We had Captain America showing up. We had we had Thor. We had Hulk. We had, you know everybody was there, <laughs> and uh, and and I was very very dramatic in my pitching of this story. You know, uh, you had to make you know that's part of the part of the deal. You know, yeah, but of course. There's a little bit of showmanship that comes <laughs> with uh, with being a, a pitch man or a, you know a creative uh, at, at at Imagineering. You got to have a little showmanship, and. Uh, so we get into the Hong Kong, we get to Hong Kong, we have to go pitch this to the government. They told me, okay, first of all, you got to wear a suit. I'm a pretty, you know, your, your viewers can't see me now, but you know, I'm a very casual guy, you know, hoodie, baseball cap. That's kind of me. Right. Right. But they're like, you got to wear a suit. And when you pitch it to them, just so you know, it's, it's disrespectful for you to be above them. So you need to pitch it from your seat. You need to be seated down, you know, sit it down. And I was like, okay. And, and they said, just so you know, these are very, you know, straight faced, you know, poker face type guys, you know, they're not really going to respond to you. It doesn't mean they don't like it. They're just, that's just how they are. And I said, okay, fine. Fair enough. I'll, and they said, but just do your thing. And, but just don't expect a lot of reaction. <laughs> so I was, I was already nervous. So they take us into this, you know, government facility, which I swear was like shield, right? Like we're going <laughs> like secret elevators and underground tunnels. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, where are we? Like, this is nuts. <laughs> and uh, we get up to the top, you know, room of this tower, beautiful view of, of Hong Kong, the city. And, you know, the government comes in we all stand up, they walk in, we all try and sit simultaneously. And, you know, uh, Robert, you know, kind of gives the, it was his, he kind of gave the setup of what we were trying to do. And then he hands it to me to pitch the story of this Avengers ride. So I start pitching it and, uh, and nobody's, nobody's really reacting as expected. I'm doing it all from my seat in my suit, very formal. Um, but there was a part in that ride where Thor showed up and, and as I'm starting to build up to this Thor moment, you know, I see one guy starts kind of nodding his head. He's like, <laughs> okay. And as I, as I, I notice, I'm like, okay, that's my guy. Like, I don't, I don't know what his deal is, but he, he's the guy who's seen the movies. He's kind of into it and he, he, he wants to get excited, but he's playing it cool. So I, I knew this was my guy. So I keep pitching it, pitch, pitching it. And I said, and at, you know, at that point in the attraction, the clouds start to roll in, the, the lightning starts to crackle, the, the thunder starts to rumble. And that can only mean one thing. And he leans forward and he goes, 
Thor. <laughs> and I go, yeah, Thor, that's it. And so, and uh, so we, we were off and running. I pitched the story and he came up to me afterwards and he goes, Oh, I love your story. He's like, I've been a Marvel fan since I was a little boy. I watch all the movies. I read all the comic books. And, uh, and we, we sold the idea. And obviously the, the attraction became the Iron Man experience. So we, we drifted away from it as an Avengers concept and really focused on telling a great Iron Man story, which I, I think was the, was the right call, you know, at the end of the day, because I really, getting people used to this character introducing somebody new and starting with iron man in the same way the the marvel cinematic universe started with iron man it kind of grounds you in a way before you get into like the craziness of it all right you know you you can't get into guardians of the galaxy just without anything right you got to like start with with iron man a very you know human you know character uh so i think that was the the right approach and it was it was a great uh way for us to get into um you know the marvel universe but also how the first way to bring in a marvel attraction into a disney park because i think philosophically and we had lots of conversations about this how you bring marvel into the disney parks is it was a whole other challenge you know that the promise when you walk into a disney castle park in particular you know and you know very well there's the plaque on the tunnel right here you leave today and enter the worlds of yesterday tomorrow and fantasy and the Marvel Universe is, you know, it hangs its hat on being the world outside your window and being our world. Like Peter Parker's a kid from Queens who roots for the Mets and could go to Disneyland, you know, if he could, you know, string together a couple bucks, you know, uh, you know, he's an average guy. And so how do we bring those Marvel stories into these parks that promise fantasy and escapism when these stories are about today? Um, and, you know, leaning into Iron Man and the Stark Expo in particular, I mean, I think when we all saw the Stark Expo sequence in Iron Man 2, anybody who's got an a inkling of Disney fan in them went, well, that feels very familiar. That feels, <laughs> you know, that feels very Walt. That feels very World's Fair. Like, you know, even to the point of having Richard Sherman write the song. Right. I was going to uh, say that took yeah. like a step further. Yeah. So the Stark Expo was it was a great hook. Uh, for us to to start to introduce this crazy universe into the world of Disney parks, which is awesome, and I, I know that we're now getting, we're, you know, I said in the very beginning, we're sort of entering this new era where there's more Marvel attractions and more um, Marvel experiences coming to the parks. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe you also worked on Guardians of the Galaxy: Mission Breakout. Um, yep. So, what was that experience like? Because I know that was a project that had a very short turnarounds compared to a lot of other projects at Imagineering. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, I remember, you know, working with Joe Rohde on, on that, who be, ultimately became a tremendous mentor of mine. I learned uh, a ton from him. A lot of what I, you know, do now in terms of the projects I'm working on, I always have Joe Rohde in the back of my mind, you know, in terms of process and uh, working through story. I mean, he's just, you know, just such a brilliant, brilliant guy yes. uh, and, and a lot of fun to be around on top of that. You know, he's, <laughs> he's awesome. I love Joe. Um, so, yeah. So uh, working on that project, that was, that was a challenge, but one of our conversations was, you know, if we are successful in doing this, this is a game changer because we're going to completely refresh an e-ticket attraction one that people already love and are already not very happy about that we're changing this. Right. So if we, if we, if we change this and we're successful and we convert all the naysayers and deliver a, a, a new e-ticket experience in time for the release of guardians of the galaxy volume two, like this is a game changer. And, um, and so that it was, it was a challenge, but one that we are really excited about. And even, you know, we weren't initially, super sold even on guardians of the galaxy because you know we were heading in a direction on what we wanted to do with bringing those super, the superheroes into that into that part and uh and you know so we we certainly we talked about other characters that we might be able to fit into that that type of experience again stripping away everything that you know about tower of terror and just thinking of it as a ride mechanism right that that creates a falling sensation it drops you up pulls you up you know in, that's the sensation and then how do we tell a story with big bombastic superheroes that do lots of crazy things and how do we confine it to that little that little space right and and the bigger and crazier the superhero kind of the tougher it becomes so how do we keep 
characters captive. And then you can see where that, that idea starts to lead, you know, who, who wouldn't be able to break out of a box and, you know, and then, well, what box are they in? And then you just see how it starts to steamroll, um, or snowball, I should say. And, and then, uh, uh, ended up being just a ton of fun to work with, working with the team from Marvel studios, uh, and James Gunn, who was, you know, kind enough to direct that sequence, you know, the different sequences that we experienced there and Tyler Bates and his music and, and the, that we leveraged for, uh, monsters after dark. Uh, and I mean, it, the whole thing, the whole thing just came together in such a, a, a big fun way. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun to do and, you know, what a, a, a great team. And again, working with Joe was, was a dream. Yeah, you answered my question too, because if he didn't bring up Joe, I was going to bring up Joe and asked about what he thought. <laughs> so I was, I'm glad you, you threw that one in there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you definitely converted all the naysayers. I think there might be some, I still see some still kind of hanging on, but I don't think they've really experienced Mission Breakout because everyone I talk to who has, they're like, oh, yeah, this is much better. Like, this is, this is fine. This fits um, exactly. And keep in mind, I, I was is. actually at, I was at Marvel at that point. So I had, I had transitioned from Imagineering. So Iron Man experience, I started as an Imagineer. And then uh, about halfway through its lifespan, of production, I, I switched over to Marvel. And so I got to see Iron Man experience through to completion, uh, at Marvel, uh, and then, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Nano Battle, those were all part of the, the, my Marvel years. Yeah. And you teed me up cause I was going to ask is exactly about that transition. Um, because uh, you know, Marvel was still, uh, Marvel being in Disney, as we talked about, was, was still relatively new. And this type of position was not exactly one that had existed at Disney. So um, how did you make that transition from Imagineering into now being in the Marvel side? Yeah, well, so the, so the very, very first thing we ever did um, with, with Marvel was um, actually a monorail wrap. Uh, if I you remember, remember that. Yeah, to promote the first Avengers film. Uh, so that was the very first thing we ever did. Uh, I designed that. I designed this, this wrap with all the Avengers characters and made the, the monorail look like it was a shield vehicle. It was, you know, high gloss black and had the heroes kind of flying alongside of it. So that was the very first thing that we'd ever done. Um, and I, you know, I really dove headfirst into everything Marvel related. As soon as Marvel became a part of the Walt Disney Company, like that, what I had, I was laser focused on on bringing those stories to life. Um, and really, it goes back to you know when it was first announced back in 2009. Which you know, keep, this is like Christmas morning for me. You know, when I open <laughs> up my laptop that day and see the Disney logo and the Marvel logo on the same screen together, I like couldn't believe it. Like. And the buzz around in the hallways was like, is this even real? Like we are, are we going to do like rides based on the Marvel universe? Like this is, this is nuts. Right. So, and I was so excited. Um, and to the point where I remember we, we brought in the author of the Marvel encyclopedia to speak to the Imagineers. And uh, there was a lot, like I said, a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. And, and the author was going to, was going to speak to all of us in the, in this big conference room at WDI and uh, I went in there. I was like sit sitting in the front row. I was like so super nerdy about it. like I was so excited about it. That's awesome. And, and so he starts going into all the deep cuts, talking about the, the breadth of the Marvel Universe, decades of history and legacy and, uh, you know, good guys becoming bad guys and costume changes and, you know, the Phoenix Saga and the Clone Saga. And he, like he's going into all the deep cuts and I'm loving it. I'm like right there with him. Like, this is fantastic. And I wanted all of the Imagineers to be like excited with me. And I remember specifically turning around to look back at all my coworkers and just seeing like blank faces. <laughs> like this guy was speaking another language entirely. Now at this point, only the first two Iron Man films and the Incredible Hulk had come out and Thor was in pre-production. Um, and so it was very early days in terms of the Marvel Studios, you know, films. Um, so the, the, the larger awareness of, you know, even Thor or Loki, you know, these, like these characters were not in the public, you know, pop culture zeitgeist just yet. Right. Um, and, uh, but as a comic fan, like I, I knew and loved them. And so I, I knew that again, I was disappointed when I saw those blank faces, but I also, the light bulb went off that this is a big opportunity for me. And so I just started working on anything and everything I could 
uh, Marvel related, pitching new ideas, big and small. Um, and certainly there was a handful of us in Imagineering that were really excited about it. And we, you know, and all of us kind of got really, you know, really dug in. Um, and so for, for about, <clears throat> let's see, so that's 2009. So for, you know, what's five years or so, yeah. um, we're doing, we're doing all this and I get to know Joe Casada, uh, who was the, the chief creative officer of Marvel at the time. And he and I just really hit it off. We became great friends. And he, not only is he one of my, my best friends to this day, but he's also, you know, one of my great mentors. And, you know, we really worked closely with Joe on all of those early concepts. And, um, and one day I was having breakfast with Joe and I said, Hey, here's a, here's a crazy thought. Like we've been doing all this work with, you know, with you guys I go, have you ever thought about having like an Imagineer on staff at Marvel full-time throwing that out into the world and let's see what happens. And, uh, Joe, was surprisingly open to the idea. You know, I, I thought like, I'm just going to throw it out there. We'll see what happens. And he's like, you know, it's kind of an interesting idea. And I didn't think much of it, but then a few months later, um, I got a call and, uh, and there was interest in doing just that, having, you know, somebody to come over to Marvel that could head up this new division would certainly be involved in the, in the Disney parks projects, but also, you know, work on all the other things that Marvel was involved in that as, you know, an Imagineering, I wasn't as aware of uh, that those things were going on. And so, um, you know, of course, if there was one company that could have pulled me away from my job at Imagineering, which I loved, it was, it was Marvel because this was a very unique opportunity, like to, to bring these things, these characters to life for the first time ever uh, in Disney parks. Um, and like, this is kind of historic um and I, I wanted to be a part of it so i i took the job i jumped at it and uh uh and i've been able to work on some you know, you know certainly loved the, the work i did on on the disney parks projects but now i'm really focused on kind of outside the berm and working on experiences around the world that are not you know just you know at the at the parks and i'm having a blast doing all that stuff so it really did uh kind of get me involved in a lot of new things that i didn't even think about um back then so yeah that transition was was pretty, pretty easy at the beginning. Cause it started off really just being kind of an extension of what I had been doing already, but then took on a new life with all these other, other projects that I was not anticipating. And I love the fact that you basically created the job that you wanted. So it was, I mean, it, it's still following that thread of, of showing the, first of all, having that passion very forward um, and, and present and letting people know like, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I wanted to. Um, and then having the the sort of creativity to end the, the guts to go and say like, Hey, I'd love to do this. Um, and beyond just working on an Imagineering project is like, this is what I want to do full time. Um, yeah. And then having that created for that, you know, having that role kind of come to life out of your vision is, is pretty genius. Um, so I, I love that story. Um, you know, thinking about, and we talk a lot about the experiences in the parks. Um, you mentioned you work on a lot that's outside the berm. So what is perhaps one example of something that you're most excited about that you've worked on or, or you know, something that, that, that I guess got you really excited at the time to develop outside of the parks? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's so many. We're, we're, we have our hands in, in projects all over the world right now, um, you know, and I think a lot of creative people will probably tell you the project they're most excited about is the thing that they're working on, like right now, <laughs> right. Um, which is kind of a cliche answer. But like, you know, I, I really am excited about what we're doing with uh, Avenger Station. Um, you know, there is a there's a version of Avenger Station that is in Las Vegas right now uh, at the Treasure Island uh, Hotel and Resort. And that was really fun to do. Uh, we have escape rooms that are in Portugal. So for the first time we've dipped our toe into what does a Marvel escape room look like? So we've created a whole complex of Marvel escape rooms called Marvel mission. Uh, so really excited about those. Um, let's see, we did Marvel universe live with Feld entertainment, a traveling arena show. So again, it was doing a, a big, big, crazy Marvel show, but now it's, it's not, it's not an attraction where we can really have you look at a specific place. Um, you know, it's a big arena and how do we tell a story like that? And what do we do that's different? 
Um, how do we bring these characters to life in new ways and uh, bringing a whole a whole slew of new characters to life? Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Fist, you know, uh, characters that hadn't been brought to life yet, you know, in that way. And so that was uh, a lot of fun to do. Um, and I've really grown to, to love some of the newer projects we're doing. We're getting really involved in the professional sports space, um, which has opened up a whole new arena, so to speak. Um, you know, <laughs> intended. I know pun kind of intended. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of great partnerships with, we just did one with ESPN where we did a Marvel overlay of a, of NBA broadcast called arena of heroes. And that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, and I've, I've really started to love doing the, um, the conventions. Um, you know, I always kind of thought of that as like a, a, a marketing play, at least initially, but, but as I've, you know, when I was kind of handed the reins to oversee our Marvel booth at San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, you know, it's, it's really, it's no different than what I would do in the parks. It's storytelling, but in a, in, a, in an immersive way, but now we're, we're, we're certainly trying to showcase a lot of the product, but we're trying to create experiences for people. So how do we do that? How do we create a great fan experience with Marvel music and, and uh, cosplay and, uh, you know, different product offerings and things like that and have talent signings and whatnot. So it, it's thinking about dimensional storytelling in a different way, but always thinking about the holistic experience. And so bringing a lot of those same ideas that I learned as an Imagineer into all of these different events that, that our hands are in right now. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a, be a part of all this, you know, the Marvel universe is a, it's a growing place. And, um, you know, I'm certainly aware that, uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and so many others. And, um, you know, I'm honored to be a part of that, part of that legacy, even a, a small, small piece of it. Um, you know, but it's, a we're having a lot of fun and, and, you know, these are all great partners that we work with and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our team and, and what we're, what we're doing right now. It's amazing. And there's a lot of cool stuff that you've worked on, uh, of all the things that you mentioned though, I'm a huge fan of escape rooms. So not all saying right. I won't go to Portugal to, to go to an escape room, but you know, think, think about bringing them here to the U S cause I would love to do that. <laughs> noted, noted. <laughs> um, quick, couple of fun questions, um, about, your Marvel fandom, and then one one last wrap up question. So, if you th and I know these are these actually could be tougher sometimes, but um, do you have a favorite MCU film? If you don't have a favorite film, do you have a favorite phase? Sure. Uh, yeah, my my favorite MCU film is Captain America: The First Avenger. Good. Choice. So I, I go I go all the way back. Um, I I love the aesthetic of of kind of World War II in the nineteen forties. I I just think that's such a such a great great look. I mentioned my love for the Rocketeer early on, so uh, you know certainly it goes hand in hand with that. But I I mean I think the the music from Captain America: The First Avenger is so iconic. Like it's probably the most superhero uh, score I think I think Marvel Studios has in my personal opinion. Like it just it kind of screams like a big superhero theme. Um, and I thought, you know, the way they brought that character to life, which, you know, this could have been, it could have been really cheesy, you know, uh, you know, but I think the going, having Steve Rogers go through the, do the USO tour was a stroke of genius to allow him <laughs> to have that original, uh, that original costume and have it make sense. And then how it evolves into something that still feels iconically Captain America, but is, but, but functional for, for world war two. Um, and you know, Red Skull is my favorite villain. And I, I think he just, you know, he's kind of like Darth Vader in that way that like, whether you know who he is or not, you can know he's the bad guy just by looking at him. Like he, he, he's got a red skull and he's got like a black leather jacket. Like that's the bad guy, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Captain America, the first Avenger is my, my favorite. Awesome. I love that answer. Um, I'll ask you one more, one more lightning rounds. Uh, you've meant you already mentioned a couple of your favorite shows from the past, but thinking about the Disney, uh, almost a Disney Channel, the Disney Plus originals. I'm thinking about Imagine you're that. Um, the Disney Plus originals. What's your favorite so far? For Ooh, Marvel specifically. Sure. Yeah, that's the first time I've been asked that one. I I think uh, it's it's tough because I, I they've all been so different tonally, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Right. It, it all feels like the MCU, but it all feels very different. Like, like we're watching Hawkeye right now and it's a much more like gritty, 
New York City, you know, kind of story, which typically I kind of gravitate towards the, you know, like yeah. the Punisher and Daredevil. Those are like my favorite, my favorite characters. Um, so I'm really loving what's happening on Hawkeye. Uh, but if I had to pick a favorite, I think I would probably lean towards WandaVision because it was so different and so unique. And every episode, you know, weekly, episode to episode, was like, what? what is happening? Like, what, what is this? And, and, and leaning into the, the sitcoms and having, you know, the, the, the iconic sitcom type theme for each episode, uh, obviously the, the 1980s, you know, kind of family ties esque episode really hit a, hit an emotional chord with me as a, <laughs> right. as a kid of the eighties. But um, yeah, I think, I think WandaVision was just such a, such a brilliant, brilliant show. And, you know, so, uh, really kind of bonded our family, you know, generationally between my parents who were seeing the first couple episodes, you're like, Oh, that's like what we grew up with. And then, then it got to me with like the Brady bunch and, and family ties kind of seventies, eighties era. And then, and then you get into the nineties and the, it was just awesome. The whole thing was fun. And, and it was this, you know, this onion of, you know, just layer after layer of what is this, you know, generated so much discussion. And I, I love shows like that. I, I loved, uh, Lost. Lost was, you know, one of my favorite shows. And though, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with the ending, I challenge people not to forget about the journey yeah. of that show. Like week to week. I mean, at Imagineering, we would have a, like a group therapy session to digest <laughs> what had happened on last night's episode of Lost. And, uh, and we would really dig in. We had all these crazy theories about what was happening. It was so it was so fun, and and WandaVision kind of brought that back. You know, I loved that not all the episodes were dumped at the same time. That it allowed us to have a week to marinate and discuss and and you know question you know what was happening. Like I, I loved that whole that whole approach. So I guess if I had to pick one, it'd be WandaVision for now. I I think that's great a great answer. I, I struggle with the same thing figuring out my favorite, but you're right that generational piece of it. We watched it with multiple generations too and everybody seemed to gravitate towards each week something different um we got the what is grief if not love persevering quotes which is one of my favorites because it's come out mm -hmm. of a show so far um just such great stuff um so last question for you brian uh, we we've talked about what i think is a really um amazing career journey that's still just beginning i'm very excited to see where you go in the future but for those who are interested in sort of following um you know whether it's a creative passion or any other passion they might have, what advice would you offer to someone who's like, I, I, I know I want to do this, but I don't know how to manifest it into a job or into a career? Yeah, well, I, I think it goes back to what you touched on a little bit earlier with how I've handled my own career. And, and you know, I can only speak from my own personal experience. Um, and I know for everybody, it's different, but I have always worked under the, you know, whether it's through what I, you know, growing up playing, playing baseball or trying to become a professional artist or whatever it was, I was always under the impression that if I worked really hard and worked harder than anybody else, that I could achieve my dreams. Um, it's what my parents taught me and I've, and I've lived by that. So I don't think there's any good substitute for hard work and personal sacrifice. Um, you know, I, 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 when I speak to college students and I, you know, being in, in, in the job that I have, I have the opportunity to do that quite a bit. And I, I always tell students, no one's going to just show up on your doorstep with your dream job. It's just not going to, it's not, at least that hasn't been my experience, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like Disney and Marvel and anybody that's in that conversation in terms of pop culture, they're not just like desperate for people. Like they're, it's a very competitive space. And a lot of people want to work at those companies. So if you want to work in that space, you got to go after it and you got to show why you're, why you're valuable and how you think differently than everybody else. And what makes you, what makes you different when, you know, what, what skill set do you bring to the table? Um, and so um, that's kind of been my approach is if there's something that I really want, you know, something I really want to do, I've got to show somebody I can do it. Nobody's going to take my word for it. Disney's not going to take my word for it. Marvel's not going to take my word for it. Anybody else, you know, I can, I can tell you, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm a great comic book artist, you know, but like, great. Well, like, let's see your comic book art then, you know, it's like, what can you do? Either you can do the work or you can't. 
you know, and so uh, I, I kind of live by that. So you want something, you got to go for it. And you got to prove to people that you can do it. Um, and I, you know, when I was in Imagineering, I remember thinking, if I'm not here working on my craft, somebody else is somewhere in the world and that person's going to get the job. That person's going to get the opportunity. And so uh, probably to, to my own, <laughs> probably against my better judgment sometimes, you know, working crazy hours and, you know, having a, a pullout mattress, you know, like a mat that I would sleep on in my office at times. Uh, but I really wanted it. You know, I wanted it so bad. I wanted to succeed there. And I wanted to, you know, work on some of these amazing, amazing projects that the other Imagineers were getting to work on. And um, I just kept doing that, you know, until uh, until I showed people, you know, and learning, you know, sh- you know, putting your stuff out there and letting people react to it. You know, you're never going to you're never going to know and learn if you don't put it, put yourself out there. And so, you know, I do stuff and, you know, I'd have people cr- critique it. You know, do me, tell me tell me what I need to do to improve. Tell me what's good. Tell me what's bad. You know, mom, mom thinks everything you do is great. Yeah. But so you got to show it to like other people outside of mom and don't get me wrong. I love mom. And I, 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 I love my mom is, is, is the best. And, you know, she has my art hanging up all over her house. Although some of my, my Disney art, she says a little too dark and scary. So she only brings <laughs> it out. She only brings it out at Halloween time. But, um, but, you know, I, I think you got to show people your, your, your art, show people what you can do um, and prove to people that you can do the job. I love that. And hard work definitely is something I, I talk about a lot. So we're, you know, regardless of what career you're in. So I, I definitely appreciate and gravitate towards that as well. Um, well, Brian, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you taking some time to to chat with me. I'm glad we got to connect. And uh, I'm excited, like I said, to see where you go in like the next 10 years to see what projects you work on. I'll be very uh, closely interested in seeing what you're doing. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. No, it's my pleasure. You do you do a great show, and I enjoy your your Instagram feed as well. So uh, I, I appreciate you. you having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, so much fun. Thank you again. And with that, we close out episode 127 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you, of course, to Brian once again for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come onto the show and chat about his career journey and some of his favorite experiences working at Walt Disney Imagineering and, of course, working for Marvel. I want to turn this conversation over to you and hear couple of things. First of all, what is your favorite Marvel experience at the parks or beyond the berm so far? And if you were to play Armchair Imagineer for just a moment or perhaps take a stab at Brian's role and think about some of the experiences that you could create, what is one Marvel movie, show, comic that you would love to turn into an experience at Disney. You can send me your answers and feedback, as always, in so many different ways. You can connect on social media, and I would encourage you to reach out in a direct message or in a post or even on your stories and let me know the answer to this question. And be sure to follow Imagineer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast on Twitter at Imagineer News, and I would encourage you to join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, to chat about this subject and all things Disney with me and other members of this listener community. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartMedia, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast app. That'll ensure that you're the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have a few moments to leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts, that does a lot to help this community out. It lets others know what they can expect if they come across Imagineer Podcast on that platform and helps to continue to increase our relevance in the Apple Podcast Store for anyone searching for Disney, Marvel, and beyond. And if you'd like to take your love of Imagineer Podcast to the next level, definitely look into our Patreon group, 
which you can find at patreon.com slash Podcast. I have links to that location in the show notes of this episode and at imagineerpodcast.com. Patreon is a way that you can help to support the show financially and in return get exclusive perks, benefits, and rewards. You can get things like access to a private Facebook group just for members. We do weekly Disney Plus watch parties. You can get bonus podcast episodes, access to virtual events, and so much more. These terms and conditions are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show. So to learn what is currently available and what is being offered right now, easiest way to do that, again, is by heading to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast. And as always, I want to thank the more than 100 members of our Patreon community. You definitely make a huge difference in our podcast and our community. The easiest thing and perhaps the best thing to do for the show, though, is very simple, and that's just to share it. Whether you share out this episode or any other episode of the show, the podcast as a whole, or any of our social media posts, even if you just talk about it with friends and family who might enjoy the show, who love all things Disney, that's such a great way to help this community out. Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as always, to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be. I think Brian's response to the last question about showing up, working hard, and realizing that if you're not working hard to accomplish your dreams, whatever it might be, there's somebody else working to accomplish the same thing. Not to be incredibly competitive, but just to know that if you put your all into it, and if you really make that dream come true through lots of hard work and perseverance, you really can bring your dreams to reality. I think Brian is such a Brian's story is such a great example of how that can come to be. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Disney presents with Tom Morrow 2.0. Any questions? Here's a question that'll make you flip. John wants to know why you don't fall out of a roller coaster when you go upside down. The answer will throw you for a loop, literally. Come on.